This episode of Drama School Dropout is brought to you by Action Theatre Scotland. Action Theatre Scotland presents the world premiere performance of Alba, an original play by Jack Byrne and Jordan Howard. Join the S4 class of Alba High on a jaunt through Scottish history, sprinkled with songs both original and inspired, as Paul battles with a decision that will shape the future of his country for better or for worse. You can see Alba at the East Kilbride Arts Centre on the 1st and 2nd of June. Get your tickets now from the link in the show notes below. Bless the BBC, they tried desperately when I returned to, to make Stephen a lot more likeable and it didn't, it just didn't take. I guess the snorting lines of coffee is a bit mad. I went back to EastEnders in all um, honesty to buy a house. It wasn't really where I was trying to drive my career at the time. That I think must be the ultimate. And I, and yeah. I, and I, and I say that having been blessed enough to kind of, you know, get on, get on the tube and see my fucking face everywhere. All of this and more coming up on Drama School Dropout. Welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout, the UK's third best drama podcast. As per usual, my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. This week it's episode 142 and I am joined by an absolutely amazing actor who you may know from his stint on EastEnders. Please welcome to the podcast, Aaron Sidwell. Welcome to the podcast. How are we? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, especially for a cloudy sort of cold day. I'm having a good day. Oh, it's nice and sunny down here, actually. Still cold, but it's um nice and sunny in uh, Scotland. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll get like three days of warm weather in the summer. I did the fringe once, and I think in the last week of the fringe, I had to buy a winter coat. Uh, Welcome I, to Scotland. And packed accordingly. No, it is it is a bit mental. Like my mum lives in Chichester, and I'll phone her and I'll be like, "Oh, I've got my heating on," and she's like, "I've got windows open, and yeah. I'm dying," and I'm like. <laughs> I would like the, with the price of gas. I wish I had windows open and I was dying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But how's life other than the broken finger that you done yesterday? Thank you for still coming on and doing this. No problem. Uh, yeah, life, life is life's great. Like just just pottering along. You know, it's never it's never crazy this time of year, which is nice. Yeah it's crazy towards the end of the year always. So I always kind of just embrace January and February as like. If if anything happens, it's a bonus. Yeah. Whereas I I expect nothing and just get a nice kind of couple of months to just reset and recharge. Mm, that see that's crazy because, like looking at it from the different perspective, I've not done a lot of acting since I graduated last summer, but my like busiest months for the podcast are during the end of the year. Like everybody seems to have loads of free time in the at the end of the year and mm. now like while i'm doing like this and i'm trying to sort of get a bit ahead of myself for the rest of the year like i'm fine like i sent out 600 invitations like this morning and i've all i've had so far are rejections it's always lovely oh that's rubbish but sometimes i do like just sort of hit for the headlines and i'm like hello leonardo dicaprio yeah <laughs> like do you know what i mean like people that i'm i'm like they're gonna say no 
they're gonna but i will spend 45 minutes sending the emails but what i do like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast is how did you get into acting and what was your first ever role doesn't have to be professional we love a good nativity story wow if i'm honest i i don't remember getting into it it was that mm. uh, i'm sure i did a nativity i'm sure i did i'm sure i did something like noah's ark or something like that but i for as long as I can remember, I just wanted to be on stage. My mum uh, trained as an actress. She went to Weber Douglas for three years and then she actually went out to France and studied under Jacques Lecoq for two years. So even though she, you know, by the time we came along, she wasn't an actor anymore. I think she obviously spotted something at a very young age and went, yeah. up and pushed, you know, not pushed me, but just guided me towards the right uh, outlet for that energy I had. So, so yeah, so I don't, I don't necessarily remember how I kind of got started, but I just remember I always, I, I knew I always wanted to make people laugh. I, I really enjoyed making people laugh and it got me in loads and loads and loads of trouble all the, like all the time. I found that talking to a lot of actors that we were all troublemakers in school. Well, not troublemakers, but we were the, the class clowns that were often in trouble. Yeah, I just, I, and I'm still like it now. If I don't find something interesting i can't even devote a minute of my time to it and i think because at such a young age i knew i wanted to be an actor anything that wasn't that or sport i just had no interest in it just it, it wasn't you know pushing me towards my ultimate goal and so it was just wasting my time in my view at a very young age and so i would just try and turn it into something that i was interested in i think it took you know it, it took certain educators to know that about me to then be able to kind of go right we'll, we'll try and guide aaron in the right way and thankfully i was always kind of understood by my family and they they got it you know as high up as my great grandmother got it she was just like yeah school's not for him it's fine and so i was never kind of treated like a naughty kid yeah treated like a kid that just wasn't in his appropriate surrounding yet that's good though because i feel like just especially i went to school in the northeast and i, I feel like mainstream school didn't know what to do with me but like, don't get me wrong i was i, I was quite a studious child and i, I did well in school but i always knew like that I, I didn't need it like i was quite a revolutionary actually i remember in I've, I've told this story a few times so i'll sort of give you the cliff notes of it for the podcast my um i did high school musical for my last school show and there was like this day where we all had to be off timetable and in the hall rehearsing and my science teacher took umbrage with it and sort of wrote in my end of year leavers book like I hope you learn to manage your time. Something along those lines, like a really like snide remark that I could have got over if she had wrote something else, but literally just wrote, I hope you get learn to manage your time. And I was like, fuck you. And I didn't open my science paper, exam papers. Wow. Good for you. I was like, I am going to bring your mark down. <laughs> yeah. I think it's um it's still an issue I find now uh, that that educators just aren't. Uh, I mean, you know, our own government are kind of trying to um, eradicate it as much as possible. Um, I still as don't, per usual, fuck the Tories. Yes, absolutely. I still don't really feel like it's a fully understood. I mean, we all saw with COVID, didn't we? How long it took for you know any kind of rescue plan, for want of a better word, to be put in place for what is a humongous industry. Could your next job be in cyberspace? Yes. Yeah, it could. Yeah. yeah. I just don't know it yet. Um, <laughs> I do think that it's still it is still an issue. It is still an ongoing issue, and hopefully, I think. 
hopefully parents are spotting it in their kids and kind of going it's fine you know and I've like like any actor I've you know I've taught at youth theatres and stuff like that and there's always kids that have been labelled naughty that are there and you just you know you teach them for five minutes and you just realise they're just really energetic yeah you know they just need an outlet for that energy and a positive outlet for that energy so it is I think it's still an ongoing issue really yeah I think that's one of the saddest things for me because I think looking at it as an outsider on the inside in during the pandemic i i remember vividly the the buzz around disney plus coming to the uk it, it i think that we went into lockdown on like I, i'm totally making up days here like the friday and disney plus started on like the monday and yes. i remember sitting and thinking like okay so this this is showing how important arts are like everybody's at home locked in like and people are turning to netflix disney plus like i think they had record breaking like sales and i was like so surely this is going to sort of turn the attention to the government of how important this sector is in the industry and unfortunately it didn't and i i think that's so genuinely sad i think you're absolutely right i still don't think people see them as connected industries um the stage and the screen they don't see them as connected industries and people regularly uh i i, I gig quite a lot mm. uh, down the country that's really kind of my 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 bread and butter outside of acting is yeah sing and people will sit watch me perform and will come up to me afterwards and go so you're not acting anymore and I thought you've just you've literally just watched me perform for you know 245 minutes but they just don't they just don't connect the two and uh and so unfortunately I think even though you know we do have um a really at the moment a hugely booming um film and television industry in this country I mean everybody's coming here to film They've put in loads of tax breaks for that. It's still not viewed as a viable industry, even though across the board now you have zero hour contract. So it's not like it used to be, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, even really early noughties, where it was a risk to be an actor because where was your next job coming from? You could work in a shop now and have no guarantee of hours, have no guarantee of employment at all. But it's still seen our industry as a huge, huge risk to go into it. And parents don't want their kids to do it. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's, a, it's a head scratcher. But I think mm. until there's cross transparency, I think until people go and watch somebody in a show and then see them on screen more regularly, uh, like they do in New York, for example, it's very regular to see Broadway actors in humongous TV series, you know, straight afterwards. Until that is a, a cross transparency within our own industry here, I just don't think people will ever relate the two. Yeah, I totally agree. Bradley Jaden's doing it right now. I have to shout him out. He's in um, EastEnders. Yeah, yeah. I saw Brad have gone into that. Johnny Langford and um, who else was in there? Johnny Labby was in there when when I was yeah. was on a soap. You know, there was there was loads of there was loads of people, but it was still seen as like a career jump. Like, oh, you're, you're yeah. not doing anything. It's it's just it's it's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's all good. The example that I like to use, which is very Scotland specific is i don't know if you'll ever heard of it it's called still game no i've not heard of it it's so good it's on netflix you need to watch it you will you might need subtitles um one of the biggest scottish sitcoms ever like i would say actually not one of the biggest the biggest and that started out as a stage show and what i like to say to people is like it's ford keenan and greg hemphill who are geniuses 
they started out on the stage. If you do, if you're going to the theater now, you're gonna see the next generation of these people that become cultural and national icons. Like how many people now are sitting in a dressing room in some like independent theater up and down the country that next month maybe gonna now be the star of a new TV show? Look at like even just going like on massive examples. Barbara Windsor and June Brown. Like, could you imagine if they'd never went to the theatre and acted in the theatre? We wouldn't have had massive national icons. We still, we still, we still, we do still have that now, you know, Tom Hiddleston and Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. In theatre and, and, um, and made their way to, to Marvel. I think really most of our, you know, biggest actors, Sean Bean, I think, you know, uh, Alan Rickman, like all of these guys started in the same way. Um, I think Sean Bean's first credit was at the Royal Shakespeare Company. But it's, it's. I think people don't necessarily go back to it. I mean, look at Marlon Brando. He never went back to it. You know, once he was on the screen, he was he was yeah. on for the rest of his career and was really chastised for never going back to theatre. But yeah, it's it's an issue we have in in this country. Yeah. Um, and uh, and 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 hopefully something that can be addressed. But I'm not necessarily holding my breath for it. I do want to talk to you about your time on EastEnders. Uh, I think that you were great. I remember that. That was like the height of EastEnders for me, like that whole storyline of like, which Branning sister will he choose? Who's going to have the baby with? Do you know what I mean? That was when I was like fully invested. And yeah, like I thought you were great. I remember, I can't, I'm going to have to ask you now, when you... You had an entrance when everyone thought you were Cindy Beale. Was that the first time or the second time that you? That was the first time. That was two thousand and seven. Yeah. I remember yeah. that vividly in uh, your in the little like was it in like a bed sit and like all of the walls. I want to say it had like newspaper on it. It was like a derelict flat. Yeah, and I'd lured um, Ian there. I had stalk had you know there was this secret stalking going on and everyone thought that Cindy was back from the dead and um and then a couple of years later Kathy came back from the dead. Kathy came back from the dead. Um yeah, so it that was um that was my original entrance into the mm. show. Uh yeah, and it was revealed to be me and then I turned back up on the square and Ian was nowhere to be seen. Ian does just go missing, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He really, really does. I mean, he brings so much of it on himself. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's hard, I think, for for anyone to feel sorry for Ian Beale after this amount of time. But yeah, that was it. Was a fantastic story. I had no idea who I was playing. Uh, jumping forward to my, you know, my my second time on the show, I had very controversial storylines to deal with. That you know, they don't run that a lot of that stuff by you. And yeah. um, I, I had a story uh, involving a faked brain tumour. And um, unfortunately, at the time, my friend Ross was, um, he was terminally ill with a brain tumour. And I spoke to, I spoke to his wife and she was like, it's fine. I'm an actor as well. I get it. It's all cool. But it was, um, it was a challenge. It was a real, real, real challenge. But I know a lot of other actors that have dealt with either playing rapists or playing characters that have been raped on shows. And it's it's a very it's a very tricky topic to deal yeah. with. A lot of the time, you know, if I was doing a play, if I was signing up to do a streetcar named Desire playing Stanley Kowalski, I would know. Yeah. 
character is going to do this. But when you sign up for an open-ended or however long contract and that stuff's not there, it's very hard to get your, particularly when you're playing the kind of character that Stephen was, you know, to, to kind of go, where do I draw the line here before I go, no, I'm not prepared mm. to do that kind of thing. And I wonder, like, because I remember I had someone, it was Jess Ellis from Hollyoaks on, and she said, like, one of the silly things that happened there was they came in and, like, the compliance people that make sure everything's good for TV, they couldn't have the lighter next to the candle. I don't know why, I can't remember. I'd have to listen to the episode again. But then she was like, oh, but then, like, somebody can be murdered or whatever, or somebody can, like, be, like take heroin. And, like, I wonder... Like, thinking about, like, EastEnders now, just, like, casting, like, my mind back across the years, there's been some mad storylines, like, Ronnie Mitchell stole somebody's baby and replaced it with a dead one. Like, I wonder what, where they draw the line, like, I wonder what's on the cutting room floor of storyline ideas. I think it's very relevant to what's going on in the world at the time, mm. so um, a huge part of my my exit uh, I sat down with the producer at the time and he, he sort of explained what was going to happen and what was explained to me and what ended up happening changed massively mm. because there was going to be an enormous riot. It was going to be enormous, absolutely huge. The whole week was going to be enormous. One of the biggest weeks ever in, in the show's history and it was going to culminate in the death of Stephen. And then there was the attack on Borough Market and it was seen as incredibly insensitive at that time yeah. to do something like that. So they pivoted, they changed the idea and there was going to be a fire um, and Stephen was going to die in the fire. And then I shit you not, Grenfell Tower burned down. And so then it was like, well, we can't change the story, but we weren't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to die as a result of fire. Yeah. There had to be, there was allowed to be a fire, but I could not die as a result of it. And so we ended up with this bizarre kind of Stephen gets chucked into a counter and perforates his liver and bleeds out and dies with nobody under the impression um, that there was an issue. So it was, and then we weren't, within the filming, we weren't allowed to cough too much within the fire. And, you know, it, it, so it was very dictated to by what had happened at that time. If nothing had happened at that time, it, I think the storyline that it was originally mm. gone ahead. So it's um, it's difficult because they do have to be very, very sensitive to that. Yeah. I just meant, do you think like somebody's walked into a room and said, right, I've got this idea and somebody's gone too far, too oh, far, mate. Yeah. I imagine that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. Time. I think again, like on the flip side of, side of it, they go, but we want to bring up a story about postpartum depression, and in order to do that, we need to show something that would have happened somewhere. Like yeah, hundred percent somewhere, and they've seen that and gone. This is a storyline that we think needs, and we need to show it in this way. We need to show it at its at its worst, and so it's um, but it's but it's very tough for an actor to kind of. As I say, if you was if I was signing up for a play or a musical, I'd know what I was yeah. signing up for before I'd started. And so then that decision is on me. But mm. when you're doing a continuous drama like that, it's um yeah, it's it's mm. it's tough to kind of have those conversations. And you hear all the time, like, especially just it's in my head, Samantha Womack spoke at the time that that storyline was going on, that she received a lot of abuse like in public. Like, did you ever have any backlash like as yourself and not as Stephen, 
No, I mean, there's always Twitter backlash, but I, 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 to be honest, I've, I've faced much worse Twitter backlash for my own views and opinions on certain things than I have from stuff that happened on the show. But um, I, people were very angry about uh, faking cancer. Yeah. Uh, which I totally, totally understand. But, I, you know, as well, like I said, it happens. It does yeah. happen you do these things and so it's um it's it's how i think it's how far do you want to go with that conversation how far do you want to do you want to push that who who is the character that you're doing it to stephen was already a fairly unlikable guy to the public bless the bbc they tried desperately when i returned to to make stephen a lot more likable and it didn't it just didn't take and I um, sat down with, because Dominic brought me back into the show, who was, when I was originally cast, was my, the series story producer at the time. Yeah. He, uh, one of the last things he did was bring Stephen back. And then I was there for all the five minutes before he left. So I, I knew that Sean was going to be taking over. And Sean, Sean let it sit for a little bit and then just sat down with me one day and just went nah it's so you're such a more interesting character if you're doing the bad stuff which i i i appreciated actually because it's a lot more fun to play 100 percent. i think that like i got to play a villain just in my last short drama school and i was like it's just so much more interesting than playing like the like i don't know how should it like the average joe i think that's the word i want to use i always say no one wants to play romeo everyone wants to play mercutio see i did want to play romeo ah Mm. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but I think now, growing up, I, I if I was doing Romeo and Juliet, I know I'm too old to play any of them, but I think I'd want to play Tybalt. I played Tybalt. Tybalt. I did notice that while I was doing my, my research that you're quite a, a Shakespeare buff. Oh, I mean, well, the, the, the thing I was saying that I um, produced with the local theatre during lockdown was we produced 90... Five, I think, episodes of um, Shakespeare's characters in lockdown. I love uh, Shakespeare. Set in all different ways. And so if anybody's looking for for relevant bite-sized Shakespeare, I would push them towards uh, the series we produced. It's all on YouTube. It's available for everybody. And it's called Bard from the Barn. And it's linked in the show notes below. But finish listening to this episode now and then go and check it out. Go and check it out and watch all 95. Just um, But just very quickly on EastEnders, one question that I like to ask anybody that's been part of something massive did you steal anything from the set? Oh, of course I did. Uh, I love that. Like, I asked some actors and they're like, no. And I'm like, I can see the sign in the, in your backdrop. Do you know what I mean? Like, they give, us, they give us an Albert Square sign that everybody signs and it's lovely. And it's it says London Bar. I'm looking at it right now. It says London Borough of Walford, Albert Square. And then it's got my name, Aaron Sidwell, on it. And then E20 in the corner. And everyone signs it and writes a little message. And... Uh, I actually have two because I left the show twice. So I've got one downstairs and I've got one upstairs. So, um, but that I wouldn't necessarily say is theft. No, you were given that. However, when I left the show, when I went back to the show, uh, so I I would say I I have had and always have had um, the pair of Converse that I first wore as Mm. um, when I was on the show. So the first day I stepped on set, I stepped on set in these Converse. And because it was my professional debut, as, as well as my EastEnders debut, they are prized and they are shut away, um, never worn, um, because they are... I, I always take shoes anyway, 
because they never, you know, they're never going to be able to reuse shoes. However, when I left the show the second I time, I don't know. Like we're going to play a game in a minute called Stage Right or Stage Shite, and there's been some weird fucking stories about people's Ooh, shoes. Bill Kenwright has shoved someone in someone else's pair of shoes at some point. No, it's people being like, "Oh, I had this like guy come to the stage door every night for six weeks begging to buy my shoes," and I'm um, like, "Oh, shoes are like shoes are like the one thing that I'm like, no, they're coming with me." Um, so, but when I went back to the show, they they really styled Stephen on me personally, hmm. like. Um, and um i'm i've got i've got quite a lot of tattoos so i was always in long sleeves yeah it was very personal and so they felt they couldn't really have them out and on show and so when i was leaving i said oh you know what happens to my costume and they said um oh you know we kind of just recycle them for 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 guest artists when they come in i said well is that you know can i buy some of it and they went yeah go go along to your rail pick out the stuff that you want and then let us know how many items so I went along and basically took my entire rail of clothes. Um, some of it, I mean, I had like a three-piece suit that had been worn for a funeral at one point in time. So it was basically a brand new suit. So I um, I said to them, oh, I've, you know, I've got these bits. And they said, look, we have to charge you a little bit of money because we, you know, we just, we have, we have a limited yeah. budget. Well, and then they said to just drop off the cash. And God's honest, I forgot to drop off the cash on my last day. God's honest truth, I wasn't stealing it. I didn't mean to steal it. I forgot to drop off the cash. And I mean, we're talking like 50 quid. They were like, give us 50 quid for like probably about a thousand pounds worth of clothing. Um, and I still have loads of it and wear it all the time. And your headshot <laughs> is currently up in like the costume department at EastEnders, wanted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll get a phone call from my agent going, we've heard from the BBC. You owe them. Um, <laughs> we have had a debt collection agency on the phone. Yeah. Um, but uh, so so I would say, yes, I did steal that. I didn't take anything from the house or anything like that, which in hindsight I wish I had because it was, it, it's a bit, I have, I have a very nostalgic, bizarre feeling whenever I return to L Street. Because yeah. it really feels like a home. It doesn't feel. It's not like when I, whenever I go back, you know, if I've been back to the Garrick or or anything mm. like, you know, I don't necessarily have the same connection to that as I do from the second I walk in the gates. And they audition a lot there still, and so you know, I've been back a few times since to read for other bits and bobs and it's it's just i step back in in time and i feel like i'm 18 again and you know and it's changed it looks different but to me it just there's a really weird feeling whenever i go back there but particularly with the beals the house set it went under loads of different renovations during my time but that was i think i shot my last scene there with about 10 days still to work but that's when it felt like I was leaving. Yeah. It was like, this is my last day here. And, you know, there were there were really emotional moments to follow when I did my last scenes with various actors. But that was a really bizarre emotional day of just kind of being like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm never going to step back in here again. It's it's it's. Um, Who it's... knows? Kathy came back. Oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> I'll have none of that. <laughs> I'll 
below and then someone else's head is going on he's dead what i'd love to ask everybody that comes on the show and it's one of my favorite questions to answer actually and i've got a good idea for my answer i'm going to change my answer up slightly for the first time in years if a casting director came and said to you tomorrow i want to do a two-hander with you in the west end but I don't know who I want to put you with. Who are you picking to be your show partner? They have to be alive, but anyone in the world. Oh, wow. What a question. Um, I think I think I'd like to say, I mean, I, it's hard to put a specific name on. I think I'd like to say someone that's like my exact casting because mm. we'd never, we'd never work together. Um, I mean, I've seen, you know, some, just truly gobsmacking performances on stage. You know, not that he's my casting bracket in any way, but like Charles Edwards as um, as Benedict was just mind-blowingly good. I can never see anyone do it again. He was just, he was so good and the best was phenomenal. And um, But I think, you know, somebody that's, that's you know, just a bit like just like me in a way, because... Yeah. It's so rare that you'd ever have two people the same in a show. I went through a, a a stage very, very, very early in my career where I turned up to an audition. Like every single audition, this guy was there. Like every single one I turned up and this guy was sitting there. And then one day I just went over and I was like, hi, I'm Aaron. We're just going to see each other for the rest of our careers. So <laughs> let's, just, let's just make friends now. Um, and it was Jamie Moscato. Wow. And so Jamie and I just kind of became friends as a result of this like we must have been 19 at the time and we don't go in for so much the same anymore but for about 10 years solidly if I had an audition I could just trust that unless he was in work Jamie had been so uh scanning the sign-in sheet maybe someone like Jamie that would be you know be such a lovely such a lovely thing to do my answer has remained the same since like episode five of this podcast and it's Catherine Tate right She's going to make me look like a piece of shit. I'm at peace with it. Like, it's all good. And But I've come to the conclusion that if we do anything, like, because Catherine is obviously listening to this and she's waiting for the perfect, for me to spout the perfect idea, I would like to do Shakespeare with her. Because Mm. comedy, I'm going to look like a piece of shit regardless. Mm. Shakespeare, I'm not saying I'm going to live up to Catherine in any way, but I know the technical side of it. I know how it is performed. So the worst people are going to be able to say is, was all right. Yeah. All right. Do you know what I mean? And I'm good with that. Or she would just raise you no. to a level that you just never knew was inside of you. And people would go, the two of you together were dynamite. Hopefully, but I know I'd get on stage. And for the idea that I have for us, I'd just be like, <laughs> but I, I'm going to pitch an idea. Anybody out here listening, if you've got the budget for Catherine Tate, I'll do it for free. And we don't know about Aaron. I know you've been in Macbeth, right? And you were Macduff. Macbeth's my favourite Shakespeare play. And in my little fantasy world, Lady Macbeth, not that Catherine is older than me, I would never say that about anyone like that. Lady Macbeth is older than Macbeth. Because I think there's a... Love that angle. Because I think there's a line, there's a play by David Gregg called Dunson in, which takes place after the events of Macbeth. And there's a line in it that sort of infers that Lady Macbeth was on her second or third marriage. And I like to think that's why they didn't have kids. She was too old to have children. And I would like to just say, I'm not saying Catherine Tate is too old. Like, I'm not saying she's that old. But I think it would be really good. Me as Macbeth, because obviously I have to be self-centred. Catherine Tate is Lady Macbeth. You as Macduff. Well, I, l- listen, Macduff was more fun than I ever dreamed he would be. Because mm. I think when you watch it, you, you don't necessarily... 
uh, kind of watch it and go, oh, I'd love to be Macduff. Yeah. It's so, it's so raw. Everything mm. he does is so raw and animalistic. And um, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. Yeah. And I really, I really based him on the Starks. I was mm. like, he's just very earthy and very real in comparison to all the politicking that's going on. He's a crap politician. He's a terrible politician. He should never have run away. That's why his wife and kid got killed. But he's, he's a, he's just such an honourable kind of earthy kind of man. It's, it's yeah, it's it's a great it's a great role in in a show. I mean, packed with them. Mm. But I just I love that take. I've never I've never thought about that take. And actually, you know, Lady M talks about um, losing a child, and it's always attributed that that child was also Macbeth's. But you no, know, I think I think that she's a. I think, in all honesty, she was sort of a social climber. Yeah. And at the start of the play, obviously, Macbeth is like this great. I think he's the Thane of Glams. I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Thane of Glams, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think that she was like a social climber, and that she eventually like got with him because he was like the best of the bunch. But I think not. And I'm. I'm going to age him up slightly from my idea because then it wouldn't fit me if it was more. I think he's like 18. I've always said ambition is a young man's game. It's one of the reasons that I get very passionate about portrayals of Ham- Hamlet. Mm. And I get very passionate about not just portrayals of Hamlet, but of um, of Claudius as well. I, I always see Claudius played by su- such, such, such older men. And yeah. love to see a Claudius that's like, in his thirties, like in his, you know, mid thirties, because I'm just like, it's, it's so much, it, uh, there's such a brilliant thing about second sons anyway, but what if that second son was so much younger than his older brother, that he still thought there's loads of time for me to be king. Yeah. It's just, it, it's never, it's never ever done. I think because Hamlet is always, cause it's such a, you know, a mammoth role. It's always entrusted to people that are more in their, you know, mid to late thirties. Yeah. In their you know early twenties, but it and because of that, because that's the central piece of the play, it then tends to dictate the period. Everyone else, yeah. Um, and so naturally, you end up with much older um, uh, characters mm. in and around. But and I've loved the idea of what if the you know what, what if Gertrude's really young as well? What if she married a much older man and she's had a bit more of a hand in it than we all thought she did? And this mm. this there's no there's there's no right answer. This is why this. I love Shakespeare. It's just it, it's endlessly, um, it's endlessly there to be explored. I think, and um, and that's why we will continue to do it for the next what four hundred years, five hundred years. Yeah, but everyone listening, you heard it here first. First next summer at the Shakespeare's Globe, um, me, Aaron, and Catherine Tate will be performing in Macbeth with as many other massive celebrities as we can, and. Um, yeah. Don't bother going through the globe. Just bank transfer me the money for the ticket and then I'll divvy the money out accordingly at the end. Do you know what I mean? But no, like in my little fantasy world, Macbeth is young, Lady Macbeth's older. And I think that's also why she has so much control over him. Love that idea. But I'm I'm going to need to do it quickly because I'm currently becoming older. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So if I ever want, like, I don't want to direct it, I want to be in it. Um, but we're going to play a game now. This game is my favourite thing in the world. It's called Stage Right or Stage Shite. It's three stories. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth and have been submitted by listeners. One of them is a massive lie that's been made up by our producer, Heather. I've got the answer in a sealed envelope because I am not playing this game. 
like I, no i'm not doing this game if i can't play it is what i meant to say and i read these today and i think they're a bit mad and i don't know which one's the lie so i'm gonna need some help that's what we've got to do we've got to find out which one's the lie number one when i was in secondary school i was doing a monologue discussing the behaviors of americans one day i was rehearsing in one of the empty classrooms during lunchtime and an re teacher happened to walk past and she listened in without me knowing she heard me perform the monologue and then went to the head and told him that she suspected that i was trying to start a radical religious group in the school obviously after an actual investigation the head realized that i was just trying to get my advanced higher in drama number two during my showcase, a girl in my class was playing a prisoner who was being tortured in one of her scenes. She went totally method and kept herself awake for three days before our showcase. How did she do it? Lots of Red Bull, Pro Plus, and she would snort lines of coffee. I don't know how she didn't die. Number three, I was directing a semi-professional play and I was adamant that the beer in the beer can should be emptied before the show. We all got swept up in the chaos of teching a show in one day and forgot about the beer. Our leading man, who was the only one to drink beer, actually drank the beer on stage and was pretty drunk by the interval. Ooh. So, from context, I think number one's true because they said advanced higher drama, which is a Scottish thing, and an RE teacher, and not to um, stereotype all RE teachers, they're all a bit mad. I, as soon as I heard that one, I was like, that's true. Because mm. I can totally and utterly see that happening. I guess I'm torn between two and three because both sound pretty feasible. Yeah. I guess the snorting lines of coffee is a bit mad, but then actors are completely fucking insane. It, I thought about that and was like, that's not true. And then I remembered a time. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast because I'm going to tell the story. We were in drama school and we were doing Stoning Mary by Debbie Tucker Green. And in it, there is a um, a couple who, ha I don't know if you're familiar with the play. It's basically like all issues that happen in third world countries. And it's placed, it's the only play that Debbie Tucker Green has wrote for white people. And it's basically like all of the issues that people in developing countries face, but like in white Britain. And this um, couple had um, HIV or AIDS. I can't remember which one it was. And they could only afford one prescription. And this guy was like, and I just want to preface this by saying, I obviously know that his preconceived notions of what living with HIV and AIDS were like are not true. And I just, it's a story about like how mad this world can be. He did not shower for a week before the show. And he came in one day, it's the weirdest story I've ever told, with no shoes on, right? And he lived like a good 30 mile away from like our school. And I remember we were coming out of the theater, we'd been teching it. And he had to, it was, it's Glasgow, it's raining. And he had to walk like, I think 20 minutes to the train station and was going to walk in no shoes. And I was like, what is going on with you? And he was like, well, I'm just trying to get into the character. I'm just going a bit method. And I was like, that is the weirdest shit I've ever heard. Why would somebody who has HIV or AIDS not wear shoes? I mean, I've done some mad shit myself in the name of uh, feeling it more, but I can honestly say I've never walked barefoot for about 20 years. He had socks on, which I think is is weirder. Well, that's eventually. Weirder, because, um, yeah, that's weirder, because if you're going to go full hog, go, you know, take your socks mm -hmm. off. I, but also, I gave him a pair of shoes. <laughs> like, end of story. Like, that was where I was getting with that. And then I said to him, you can just keep them. Just yeah, keep them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, 
I think if you're going to walk bare, like with no shoes on, I'd rather walk barefoot because I think there's nothing worse than a wet sock. Oh, I, I could raise you on that. A wet pair of jeans. See, now nah, I think that like if you're walking, like imagine walking along a road to a train station and it just raining and the sock is just soaking. You'd do better just taking it off. Do you know what I mean? You can't really take your jeans off. I mean... I'm, I'm sure he would have done if it was this guy. Yeah, he... true. But yes, that's what made me sort of think, okay, that's true. Yeah. But then I think I can totally see people getting a bit smashed on stage. Although, is, it enough beer? is that enough beer to get that pissed? Depends how many you've got. Yeah. I'm going to go with a punt then. I'm going to say three. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Three. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going three. Number one. No! Oh, for fuck's sake. The one that we were like, nah. It's too well written. It's true. It's too well written. Well, well done, Heather. Well done. Bamboozled us all yet again. I love that game. And if you're listening at home and you've got a story for stage right or stage shite, go down into the show notes below, click the link to the Google form and submit your story. Genuinely, it's one of my favourite parts of the entire doing this podcast. You've had such an amazing career already you've done so much but what has been your biggest what the fuck is happening moment in a good way i went back to eastenders in all um honesty to buy a house it wasn't really where i was uh trying to drive my career at the time and that's not that's not anything down on 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 the soap genre or anything like that it was just a very practical decision yeah and from that wicked was also then a very practical decision because i'd put all the money I'd earned into the house and so needed to recoup. And I had a, I had an amazing time on both of those things, but I had such a huge desire to start doing work. I realised I'd spent my whole 20s working to be in work, to, you know, and I, and I was very fortunate to do incredible stuff in that time, like American Idiot and and Louisville. Um, I kind of fell into musical theatre. I was always a singer in bands mm. and and it just kind of merged really into doing musical theatre and so it was never particularly my passion but what I loved was was classical theatre and so finishing Wicked I, I was like right now I feel like I've earned the right to start choosing what I want to do and I was very fortunate to be cast as Henry V at the barn that felt pretty what the fuck but it was all building and, and driving towards something bigger and I had a terrible year in 2021, I was down to the final like six times, five or six times for things. Things got pulled, you know, and nothing went my way. It just kept, you know, bless yeah. my religion. I just kept getting the phone call going, they've gone the other way. It just felt like everyone was going the other fucking way except yeah. me. And I was just banging my head against the wall. And then out of the blue, like I'd, you know, written everything off for the end of the year. And then out of the blue, he called me one morning. He said, can you do a Zoom call? on this would have been monday can you do a zoom call on wednesday for the rsc dream shit dream shit i was like for what and he said it's for the it's for the henry the sixth plays now when i was doing henry the fifth my agent brought uh helena palmer down who was with casting then at the rsc she is she's now freelance but she does still do bits for the rsc but she it, during this time she she'd gone but she had told me she'd said look we know we're doing the henry the sixth plays next year which would have been 2020. We're doing them over two parts, over two nights, like, and I was just like, ah, this sounds incredible. 
Absolutely yeah. incredible. And um, I did a I did a podcast about Henry V during lockdown, and the person that did the Henry VI one, it was a literature podcast, and the guy that did the Henry VI one was Owen Horsley, who was directing the Henry VI plays for the RSC. And mm. I listened to it, and I was just like, this guy sounds like a fucking legend. I want to do it even more now. But I'd written it off. I thought, well, it's going to be cast. It's going to be done. And, you know, it, it goes into rehearsals in January. And then, like, we're talking, like, December 22nd. Wow. I, I, did, I did a reading over Zoom. And that afternoon, literally two hours after my Zoom call, my agent rung me and he said, can you do a video between Christmas and New Year? Can you do a self-tape for Greg Doran? Um, and it was for Jack Cade. And I was like, okay, don't get ahead of yourself. It's just a self-tape now. And I did the tape and then we waited sort of, you know, 10 days. Greg was um, on compassionate leave at the time. And so um, was just sort of left to watch the video in his own time. Totally understandably. Yeah. And then one morning my agent called me and he said, it's an, like literally called me at like 10 a.m. And he said, it's an offer. You start rehearsals in six days. And it, it just felt that all the crap that had come before had, had been totally worth it. And I've had this in my career before, but when you're in those troughs, it's very, very, very hard to see where the next peak is coming from. And out of nowhere, it just felt like the ultimate peak. It felt like everything I've been working for, for really for my entire career. And I feared would never happen because of the musical theatre credits, because of the soap yeah. opera. I felt like, you know, I'm not viewed in that way. I'm, you know, I'm not viewed as that kind of actor. Mm. And the job... Owen was even more of a fucking legend than I thought he'd be. Uh, he was just the most amazing director. It was the most beautiful process. Jack Kay turned out to be just like jaw hit the floor, unbelievably good role. Very juxtaposition to everything else that was going on in the plays. And they were fucking filmed. You know, so it's not even like I just sit here and go, oh, I did this show once. It's fucking out there. You can go watch it. <laughs> yeah. And I just, everything about the job from... From, now I know what I'm doing tonight. Oh, honestly, I, like, not, not, and not even just for me, like, go watch the performances in those plays. They are unbelievable. Mark Courtley as Henry, Ollie, Alvin Wilson as, as York, and Minnie Gale as, who is, who, Minnie Gale as well, just like, you know, Shakespeare legend, working with her and just watching her work and having somebody that you respect come up to you and just tell you how brilliant she thinks you're doing. Like the whole the whole thing was just I, I I I there was not a minute that went by where I didn't feel like the luckiest person in the world to be doing what I was doing with what I was doing. And I've had that a lot in my career and I'm very lucky, but that to me felt like where I'd always hoped I'd be. Yeah. And um, and it's and it and it and it happened. And if and if it never happened again, it fucking happened. So that that I that I think must be the ultimate, and I and, yeah. I, and I and I say that having been blessed enough to kind of you know get on get on the tube and see my fucking face everywhere, like and just go, oh my god, I used to see this when I was a kid, and like that that was just the peak for me was 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 working at the RSC with the people that I was there with, doing the plays I was doing. We have a closing tradition on the podcast and it's where the previous guest leaves a question for the current guest. They don't know who they're asking. You won't know who you're asking. But the question that's been left for you is what's your biggest controversial opinion about film? Ooh, um... Mine is that the Harry Potter films are shite. I mean, I completely agree with you. I'm, As I'm... a fan of the books yes. compared, the films are shit. Like the acting is good. 
and all of that and it's the the medium if as standalone films they're really good but compared to the books they're shit yeah I, they're just not books that are designed to be condensed like mm. that there's so much information that goes missing this is i'm because I'm, I'm such a huge film buff mine would be that film and cinema peaked with the dvd yeah i think we have too much choice now that um and i suppose look i'm an actor it's a good thing that there's too much choice um but i think we have too much choice now that there is just this Mm. growing opinion of you have to be it has to be so different to anything that's ever been seen or done before and actually storytelling has not changed it you know yeah a bit, like I said before, I'm a massive Game of Thrones fan and I wasn't surprised that Game of Thrones ended in the way that it did because I'd read and listened to interviews with George R. R. Martin where he sort of complained about the real world of Lord of the Rings. And, you know, he said, J.R. Tolkien was my, was my favourite writer, but, you know, that's not how things happen in the real mm. world. So, uh, in my head, I was going, but it's not the real world. It needs to be interestingly interesting narratively. Mm. And what happened with his, you know, series is that if it didn't stick the landing, it was superb. It, you know, went against every writing, you know, kind of convention that there is. Too many characters, names were the same, so much so that they had to change them for TV for the TV show. But you watch the end and you go, but this is really unsatisfying dramatically. And I don't, I don't think, think he wrote the last season, did he? No, he gave them bullet points. And part of the reason that he hadn't written the final, you know, two books yet is that he couldn't work out how to get from bullet point to bullet point. So, you know, you go, yeah, because your storytelling technique is not necessarily a very good one and doesn't lend itself to storytelling. Whereas I think, and I I have a lot of DVDs still and watch a lot of DVDs still. um, And I think, you know, you you would kind of pick a DVD specifically because you went, that looks like it appeals to me. Yeah. Sort of like endlessly scroll and go, no. Nah. And I just find if I scroll, I end up watching shit I've watched a million times before. You have literally just taken the words out of my mouth. I was like, I scroll through Netflix and then scroll back up to my list. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 the reason you've watched it before is because you go, right, it's good. Mm. And, <laughs> and 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 there's so much crap on now. And this and I and I do mean that crap. You know, you go, do I really want to waste two hours of my life, three hours of my life watching a film that ten minutes in I go, well, this is shit. Yeah. And I and I think I maybe did that once or twice with with DVD or going to the cinema. I still go to the cinema all the time. You know, in as much as see, I don't. Oh, see, I'm a big believer in as much as you support, you know, theatre, support your local cinemas as well, because you know they're mm. they're part of the arts and they're employing people too. And you know, don't buy their fucking food and drink. God no. <laughs> see, but I would say my most controversial opinion about film is that I don't really like films. Oh, really? See, I love her. I I love a film. I do love that we are moving in. This is the one thing that I would say is that has that streaming has absolutely changed about this business for the better and that is the 
not so much in the UK, but certainly in America, the snobbish view towards television. Mm. Used to be once upon a time that your career was failing if you ended up in television. I'm thinking Kiefer Sutherland in 24. But now it's like where you go to TV to do the really gritty, awesome acting stuff because they've got more time to tell a fucking story. And and I think that that streaming and stuff like that and people's patience to last, uh, you know, know, 10 episode series over maybe six, you know, series has become so much more accessible. And so now you're just getting, I mean, one of my favorite standalone series is um, the first series of True Detectives. Woody Harlson and Matthew McConaughey, but Matthew McConaughey, at the time that he was winning an Oscar, and he would never have been allowed to do TV 10 years before. It would have been like, fucking not but i do still go should we watch a film tonight let's watch a film tonight such a telly buff hey right like i fell in love it's the whole reason i act two pints of lager and a packet of crisps and shameless i've never i liked shameless i've never watched two pints of lager confession so good like it's it's the reason i act but i am going to the cinema i don't know when it is i'm going to see the new scream did you watch the tv series of scream no oh my god total and utter um you know favorite crap thing for us see i heard about it and was really excited about it because i was like oh one a really good film is now being transferred onto my favorite sort of medium short form television and then i sort of read reviews because i'm a bit snobbish when it does come to telly it was so shit but it was so shit that it was good Mm. i might i might give it a rewatch um but i i ignored it but the new scream i'm quite excited to see and i just did it i just directed a play and the cast bought me a um a cine world voucher for two people and i got a voucher for food as well so me and my best mate are going to see scream whenever that comes out but what question would you like to leave for the next guest We've come to the end now. I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Genuinely, it has been such a pleasure chatting to you. And what I'd like to say is if you ever find yourself in Glasgow, I'll be a tour guide and the first round of drinks are on me. Absolutely. I'd love that. Amazing. Well, I hope your arm gets better. Well, your finger. Thank you. And I do have to say, I love this setup. All I've been thinking while we're doing this podcast is, this looks like the diary room in Big Brother. Like the chair. I was like, who are you going to nominate? doing this podcast it's about time there was more about the arts and 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 yeah it's fantastic um that you're doing thank it. you and there we have it another episode of drama school dropout episode 142 completed thank you so much to aaron for coming on the podcast and make sure to follow us both on social media which you'll find down in the show notes below and if you're enjoying the podcast why not tell someone about it leaving a rating and a review on the show will recommend us to other listeners and help the podcast grow and it'll help us out so much if you have a story for stage right or stage shite please click the link to the google form in the show notes below or email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com to submit your story Don't forget you can now become an official Drama School Dropout by signing up to our Patreon using the link in the show notes below. I'll be back again next week with a brand spanking new episode. Have a great week. Stay safe. I love you. Drama School Dropout No graduation day for you Drama School Dropout Function your whole course Now try something new Drama School Dropout